0: Hi and welcome to the Fishing Matters podcast, discussing all things angling from a New Zealand point of view. This is sponsored by the Complete Angler. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Fishing Matters podcast. Some time ago, we were very privileged to have Rasmus Gabrielson to talk to us about salmon, and uh, today I can introduce him as the CEO of North Canterbury Fishing and Game and. Rasmus is very much a scientist and perhaps you could give us a little bit of a rundown of, of what your PhD thesis was about.
1: My PhD research looked at salmon and trout migration and recruitment patterns and I did one study on sea run salmon um, down in the Clutha system but I've also done considerable work outside of that for fishing game both in my previous employment for a tiger fishing game and as an as a advisor to fishing game when working at Corsair Institute prior to taking up this position.
0: Right, and uh, I would certainly refer anyone who's watching this podcast to a previous podcast we did with Rasmus, which was very informative, and I'm sure that the link for that will be available uh, along with this so that you can uh, just check it out. I see this year that we've had quite a major change in regard to salmon management as such Uh, And I know that that's taken a few people by surprise because we seem to have been on this road of a lot of work with hatcheries and now hatcheries seem to be out of favour. Could you perhaps give us a bit of an understanding as to why that came about? Sure and and first
1: of all, thanks a lot Malcolm for having me on the podcast. This is part of of our strategy to reach out to anglers and inform them about the decision that we've made here at North Canterbury Fishing Game around salmon management and it is like you say, quite a significant change of strategy and, and policy from having had a large focus on hatchery supplementation over the last few decades, <clears throat> particularly in the last 10 years in North Canterbury, to now having made a new decision where we're actually focusing all of our efforts on restoring and promoting the wild fisheries and the habitats that they depend upon. As a part of that, the Council, through a series of workshops and informed decision-making processes have decided to close down our sea around salmon hatcheries. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for that, uh, which some people might find surprising, but it's actually bringing um, North Canterbury Fishing Game in line with the best management practices for wild salmon management and giving the wild fisheries the best chance of rebounding. And, and the reason is really we've come to the conclusion that our hatcheries were doing more harm than good, and um, primarily because they were eroding the local adaptations that the wild fisheries depend
0: upon. Uh, this seems almost counterintuitive, doesn't it? I know that the story that I've bought into over a long period of time was the more fish we put out there the more will come back and it seems now that the science doesn't back that up could you perhaps comment on on you know what the science findings are on that so that we can get a better handle of what seems to be quite counterintuitive right yes certainly
1: and so um first of all um this was not a decision that we came to lightly but there were a couple of reasons for why the council came to this decision and it was a very well informed uh, and and good process um, now new zealand actually led the world back in the 90s with some of the early research under the niwa and martin Unwin research teams around the importance of local adaptations for salmon populations the sort of become in tune with their landscape and so the old mantra that you and other anglers would have heard that a fish is a fish and the more we put out there the better it is isn't at all true it's it's actually rather the opposite whenever fish were introduced into New Zealand they quite quickly we know from research um, evolved into separate locally adapted populations that were in tune with their habitats and so salmon were brought here from the US and from the Sacramento system in particular and they were mainly um, ocean type fish, uh, full round fish. Now here they developed a variety of different strategies in different systems so some of the systems in the WiMac for instance quite quickly evolved into a different type of animal, a stream type animal that spends a long time in freshwater before to go into the ocean and this was part of that research that Martin Unwin and Niwa and Mefted, did, that really honed in on the importance of allowing animals to sort of locally adapt to their environment, to be in tune with the rivers, with the flows, with the habitats. And that's believed widely and all over the world. And some of these references in front of us here show that to be a critical part of the resilience, the kind of thing that makes the engine run for wild populations. And so when we take hatchery fish, and in our case, in North Canterbury, in the last few years, most of the eggs were sourced from salmon farms, commercial salmon farms, which are totally different to wild fish. When we take those and mix them with wild populations, we are basically diluting all that specialisation. And that can have a detrimental destabilising effect. You are eroding away what doesn't need to be eroded.
0: Well, that's interesting because, of course, anecdotally, we understand that the fish have got smaller. And I know there's been some talk that they've become less vigorous, and this would be because, The primary role of a salmon farm is to raise a high quality, almost broiler chicken style salmon. And we're taking those eggs, we're putting them into uh, a different environment and we're losing what's been naturally happening by the hard and toughened type of species. Well, well, that's
1: right. Um, And I guess one of the other lessons learned from the 1990s Glenirith big research programs was that hatchery fish quite quickly... um, basically replace wild fish and this happened particularly in the Glenariff stream run where they had a big trap and they found that over time um, they were only able to increase the numbers returning by so much but largely they basically did that at the expense of the wild fishery mm. the wild fish became replaced with hatchery returning fish and and basically once you pull the plug on the hatchery fish you, you you're left with a very small wild fishery now um, there's some really good studies from all over the world that show us that if we turn off that tap of supplementation of maladapted, um, wrong type of fish, the wild fish will respond reasonably well. And <clears throat> it obviously it's the ocean condition that, that will dictate how many fish we get back. But what we're wanting to do is to strengthen the gene pool, the breeders. And so the strategy that we've built in North Canterbury now through a workshop is that The council have decided to focus on wild fish management. We're going to re-stabilise the wild populations by allowing them to have the best quality gene pool to rebuild the populations and we're going to minimise our harvest impacts into what we believe are sustainable levels. And by doing that, together with habitat protection and rehabilitation work, we're hoping to give the fish a chance to rebuild those locally, vitally important, resilient populations that can handle anything that nature throws at them, and, and, and I cannot stress enough how important this local adaptation is in the bigger picture. Uh, anybody who's fished a lot, and I, and I love my fishing as you know, and, and I, I'm quite keen on both trout and salmon fishing, uh, and the habitats that they depend upon, um, anybody who's fished a lot in different rivers will know that the, the fish are different, they're not all the same, they are unique to certain catchments. Um, and they're that for a good reason. So if you think about putting hatchery fish out there and you think that's a good thing, think about it if you were a merino farmer and you wanted to make the finest wool that you could for nice fine suits or some other wool product, you couldn't just put any old breeding rams over your fine priced merino ewes. That that would be counterproductive. You would you would basically be, be getting the wrong micron size. Salmon, Fishery management is the same. We have to allow nature to sort of hone in on what's mostly suitable there and wrap the protections around that habitat and those fish populations. We need to let enough of them come up to the headwaters so that it is a balance between the carrying capacity and the productivity and the harvest rates. Um, now, hatcheries can work for sure, but you know they are very, very costly. And that was another reason for North Canterbury. It was basically economically unsustainable for the region to continue doing what we had been doing and we weren't doing that particularly well. Yes, it's
0: interesting because when I look at the way that the salmon fishery has panned out over the last few years, some of the best returns seem to be in the rivers that we haven't actually put hatcheries into. most of you who've observed this will understand that places like the Hiranui, um the Wai'au, even the Clarence, or across onto the West Coast, for example, where there's been minimal interference or minimal releases of these hatcheries, we've actually got more sustainable populations uh, and certainly a better return than what we've had so far. Now, in, in view of the understanding that now hatcheries are probably, well, you you basically closed Glenariff, as I understand, (laughs) Montrose, Montrose, I got close, Uh, Montrose and Whiskey Creek, we're now in a situation where hatchery management from a North Canterbury fish and game point of view is um, very small. You've got a a little bit happening at at Isaacs. Can you tell me a bit about what's what's going on there and and what you plan to do with the, the Isaac hatchery?
1: Sure. So what we've done is we ran a workshop here. We had a Uh, A bunch of experts come and talk to our governors and they made a decision to close the sea-run salmon hatcheries in the headwaters of the Rakaia uh, to strengthen the wild salmon run. But we've got one site here at Isaacs outside Christchurch where we have a, a hatchery facility. We need to upgrade that one and improve it. And we're hoping to start a collaborative partnership with the salmon farming industry where we would like to have this mainly focused on trout and to some degree some salmon for put and take style urban stepping stone fisheries which are really um a first experience that we're hoping to be able to provide our city urban environment and urban anglers with Mm -hmm. so i guess that this provides them an opportunity to trial and familiarize themselves with the sport of fishing and then we're hoping to get them out into the backcountry into the lakes and 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 rivers Um, and so what we're trying to do here at ISACS is to, to develop over the next couple of years a really good quality hatchery that can provide that service to our region's anglers. Um, and, you know, we're, we, might, we might do the odd release of, of sea-run salmon sometime for, for monitoring purposes in the future, but the philosophy of actually propping up these fisheries with large-scale releases of hundreds of thousands a year those, that's a a direction that we've stepped away from.
0: Okay, so in that case, when we're talking about urban fisheries, you're thinking about something, the likes of the groins, for example, which I understand we haven't had quite so many releases uh, in there, but one only has to look at a take a kid fishing day to realise that there's incredible interest in people wanting to get into fishery and, and, and I would love to see, you know as a, as a business owner in the fishing industry, it's great for me to see people being educated into uh, the respect for, for fish and the understanding of what it's about. And, and so Fishing Games really are, are getting themselves um, positioned for, for more of that.
1: Yes, we are. So we are trying to develop a a mechanism and a policy that allows us to, I guess, find a pathway for people who live in the urban areas, who hadn't got a lot of experience around fishing, to, to test the sport uh, something that's not too far away and get familiarized with it and then see that as a way of getting them in to maybe go to visit Lake Coleridge, Lake Sumner, Lake Pearson up the Waimak Lakes and and, or some of the large braided rivers and and go on a family camping trip for a three-day weekend. But this is kind of the first experience and so we were wanting to kind of long-term build a number of small opportunities throughout the year, rather than just a one or two off mega event, we're we're probably more likely to try and find a long-term, small-scale but consistent service of opportunities um, and then see that as a way of getting people into the valuable backcountry, those lakes and those big rivers in the headwaters, which are really great areas for all of us to visit, to claim our, our, our sort of heritage.
0: Now I see there's been some rule changes that have come through this year and I know that we would have loved to have perhaps done a podcast like this a little earlier just to discuss those and uh, it has created a little bit of interest and some cases a bit of ambiguity because uh, it's gone down to being one fish a day. Um, I understand that you are encouraging as a fishing game uh, the release of salmon. You don't. You see that as something which is going to be valuable in, in the future. Yeah. So, fishing
1: game are moving towards trying to explore the opportunities of maybe implementing a seasonal bag limit as a good tool for for making sure that harvest doesn't get out of um, the band of sustainability. And and the philosophy right now is to to have a, a one day bag limit, uh, one fish a day. Um, The reality is that most people fishing for salmon will only ever catch zero or one fish. There is a handful or smaller number of expert anglers who consistently catch good numbers of fish. And so um, what what we are thinking about long-term is that if we can move towards a seasonal bag limit, you can get everybody a good opportunity to harvest what they want, where they want it, um, and you don't have to have things like early season and late season closures. You can balance the total harvest in another way so that would be a good step forward and we're applying to have that rule as an option now if we get that we will consult with anglers at the end of the season and we are hoping through the national sea run salmon committee to put together a public forum where we will allow anglers at the end of this season probably in april and may to um, come and listen to the salmon committee and fishing and game to report back on what has happened in the last two years since the salmon symposium What are the options for salmon management of wild fish going forward? How can we all collaborate and and, and do the best for salmon? And one of the things that you can do within the seasonal bag limit, or as an angler right now, is to look at your harvest rate. Do I have to harvest my limit or do I limit my harvest? And some fish, if caught correctly and not fought too long, could be released and would have a really good chance of survival. Other fish, if they're bleeding from the gills, clearly are not. A good one, and um, personally, um, me and some of the people I fish with, um, we really value putting back a really big fish. Big fish are super important for the breeding pool. They are really, really important for the recruitment, especially big females. And that life history strategy has clearly been really successful. So we want to promote more of those. And if I'm going to harvest the salmon, it would be a smaller one. I would certainly encourage everybody to harvest every hatchery fish that's been fin clipped. We want to remove those out of the gene pool that's what they were made for and so they should definitely be um, be culled out and not released that would be my personal preference and so we're giving anglers options to to make their own decisions but
0: we're encouraged them to do this certainly a short fight and, uh, and a good handling of the fish would be important for the release coming from a trout fishing background as, as well as a salmon fishing background myself I'm so used to releasing fish that it, it, it's not a, a concern, so uh, uh, Fishing Game are going to put some guidelines out as to how to do that. I think they probably actually have had some guidelines cool. of what to do yep. in order to sustain the, the fishery and make sure they have the best chance of, of surviving.
1: That's right, Fishing Game have already put some out, mostly around um, trout, but also for salmon we put some news uh, releases and, and information out in December. and. Uh, You know, the keep it wet movement, which some of the anglers might be familiar with, some of your listeners, uh, others can look it up online, that's really grown all over the world. And that basically means keep the fish in the water as much and as long as you can, fight them on appropriate size tackle and and nylon or braid strength, and um, make that evaluation. If you're going to release it, you need to. Minimal handling. Yeah, Minimal. convince yourself that it's, it's actually got a good chance of survival. Minimal handling. If you're going to take a photo, quickly out of the water and back again. And there's some fantastic photography these days mm-hmm. with, with fish halfway in the water. They just look absolutely stunning. Now, salmon, they only spawn once and then they die. And they make a long journey. So it's not, you know, something that um, we need to be conscious about, the amount of pressure that we put on the resource and where you catch it and how you fight it. And I like the idea of catch and release from the selective harvest perspective. You know, that's really what it is about. And in some overseas countries, it's quite common to have a maximum size limit just to protect those really large breeding females. That's not something we've talked about here yet, but maybe that will come one day. And I'm encouraged that we're talking about a seasonal bag limit. I think it's a good, exciting option for us. We will consult on it quite considerably if we get given the opportunity from the minister I think you could have all kinds of possible benefits for salmon anglers um, more widely because it doesn't really matter whether you fish up river, mid river or low river when you take your fish or, you know, so it gives the anglers options. And I I like from a fisheries management perspective to provide everybody with an option. Not everybody likes to be at the mouth or in the headwaters, So you should be able to choose your preference.
0: And thinking back over the many years that I've been fortunate enough to be able to fish in this area for some magnificent salmon fishing, I realise now I view salmon differently. It was once upon a time it was about you know a, a, a notches on the belt, as it were, that I've managed to catch this many fish and so on and so forth. And those days are well and truly gone in terms of what we do. How do you think we could view the, the experience of catching this magnificent fish differently. Do, do you feel that it's, it's time for a change or do you think that change is actually happening at the moment?
1: I think it's time for a change and I think it's actually been going on for quite some time. You know, for the last decade, slowly but surely, smaller and smaller groups around the country have been kind of voicing these philosophies, probably influenced by overseas anglers and and trends overseas, but also by the low numbers of salmon here. That that this no longer is a harvest fishery. We're not here to, to bottle enormous numbers of fish. The salmon fishing experience is worth so much more than the food value. It's almost like they're, they're too valuable to only be caught and eaten uh, in large numbers. You know, they, they really are a trophy experience. And, and I think that's an important part of anglers' responsibility to protecting salmon is to, to think long and hard about how we value the experience. Um, you know, we want it to be here for a long time, um, not just a good time. And we want our kids to value the rivers and the fisheries that they provide for us, so we can look after them. And make no mistake, these rivers and these fisheries, including the headwaters, are under constant pressure from all kinds of developmental or commercial interests. And it's a constant battle to provide these networks of safe havens for them. So. You know, we really got to put a lot of effort into habitat protection and restoration where we can to build that wide network of possible sites where the whole East Coast sea-run salmon fishery can be sustained by.
0: In looking at the things that our great resource, the people who who love salmon, um, can do, what, what sort of plans have we got for the future uh, that can involve our stakeholders to get involved and and what sort of things are being done at the moment in order to be able to enhance the fishery where we possibly can.
1: So we're focusing a lot of our effort around uh, habitat protection and identifying valuable habitats and we have just initiated a sort of collaboration with the New Zealand Salmon Anglers Association where we together with Fishing Game, the Salmon Anglers and some landowners are exploring a potential way of of moving away from hatchery volunteer assistance support work towards habitat support work and right now at Glenareff we've just fenced off a large area we've invested ten thousand dollars of of our money into fencing and this has been matched by the landowner they've set land and buffer strips aside and we actually even had some of the local school kids raise a couple of hundred dollars towards this project which is a fantastic little story we'll be putting out uh, over the next couple of weeks and months around this habitat protection work and we really want to work with volunteers like the salmon anglers association and other interest parties to move our interest of support towards these critical areas the headwater habitats that really sustain our sports fishery and protect that Make sure it's got all the buffers. And if you haven't seen, if you're a mouth fisherman and you haven't seen these wonderful wetlands like the Hydra Waters or or all the spring creeks around Glenaire or the Upper Waimak, these are fantastic places to visit. They really are the engine room of our fishery. You know, they're just what makes it all work. And you need to kind of, I think, uh, owe it to yourself to to lay an eye on these. It's a great trip up and go up there, camp it have a look around and, and enjoy the great trout fishing that we have in some of those headwaters as well,
0: while you're in it. I mentioned before that in the change of the way we work with resources in, in this fishery management for salmon, that we're looking a lot more towards habitat reclaiming and um, perhaps work on the wild fishery. So rather than us basically pouring resources into what was the hatchery release program, there is now going to be a lot more resources Placed into uh, make, maintaining at least the bit we, we can control, which is of course what happens on, on land um, rather than what's at sea. So, okay. could you just give us an idea of some of the things that, that you are planning to do at, at this stage?
1: Yep, so what, one of the key things that we will want to do in our new salmon management strategy uh, is to identify and protect the key valuable habitats. That's not just the spawning and rearing habitats in the headwaters, but also those key areas along the way out as the smolts from these um, <clears throat> spawning areas move out to the sea. Now they've got a number of challenges along the way. There's fish screens which we really need Environment Canterbury and the irrigating uh, community to lift their lift their um, uh, compliance around. We we know that the fish screens are not working to the level that we want them to work. We are actively engaging with The industry and the regulators to try and lift that benchmark and modernize the guidelines and the outputs and to measure the problems that we have and this is a really important thing especially in canterbury with so much water is being taken for irrigation we need better protection for these really valuable backwater habitats there's lots of interest in development around the margins of big braided rivers and however what might look like just scrubby low ponds and, and wetland left areas to somebody is actually a really valuable habitat, especially in flood conditions. The connection there between the riparian zone and the main river, this is where pe- fish get out of harm's way when, when a big flood comes. That's really important to maintain that, that our rivers just don't become sort of main highways. They have to have a, a living connection. So we need more protection there. And And I guess we're heading down a route of ensuring that we don't trade habitat values uh, for hatcheries. We are turning the tide on that and using the knowledge from overseas, focusing our habitat work on key
0: areas where we think it will really benefit wild fish. Thank you very much for that. One of the things that I think is really important for where we're going now, and certainly it's in my heart to do, is to perhaps get more feedback on the subject. For many of you it's been a bit of a surprise that we've come to this place where salmon regulations have changed so dramatically and and the sense of having to perhaps go down to a bag limit of four or or whatever it might be for a whole season can be a little bit um, daunting and intimidating but what we want to do is look for your feedback for what we're doing here so I would encourage you to write on whatever pages that you see this on. I would very much like to get uh, Rasmus back and have a a conversation uh, when we see some of your concerns I I believe that we are much stronger when we all band together, when everybody who is involved in this fishery, everybody who's a stakeholder who has an interest is well informed and understands what's going on. So I would very much like to see uh, some questions and some comments that we can bring to Rasmus again if you're happy to, to discuss Certainly. it. Uh, In order to be able to give us a a better overview, Uh, so take some time to digest what you're seeing, and uh, hopefully, uh, in in a couple of weeks' time, we'll have something more to be able to to bring to you and give you even a more comprehensive uh, understanding of what it is that your concerns are about. So please feel free to get involved in that, and I know that we've got the report back from the um, salmon committee, which will definitely be useful. Uh, If you go along to that, uh, I'm sure that the information that you receive will really help pad it out. I'm so grateful that we've got someone of your caliber, Rasmus, who has a scientific background, who's not just doing things because we've always done it that way, but rather we have this ability to be able to test and measure what's going on. And I believe we're very much in that day and age. And uh, I know that you're committed to it. Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly. And I uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to help me
1: communicate to the Anglers out there. This is really important for us to to listen to your feedback, to um, to respond to any queries or common concerns or common questions. And I really welcome an opportunity to maybe, you know, within the two-week period, come back and, and revisit some of these common questions or themes that come up if there is a good public debate out there. And um, I'd also like to reach out to all the Anglers there and point out that we we really need your help. We really need to rebuild our knowledge base of the wild fisheries. So if you harvest the fish this year from the Rakaio or the YMAG, we are really interested in getting good scale and hostless samples. That's just basically cutting off the head and and, and giving it to fishing game with the key information being, when was the fish caught? Roughly which river and upper, mid, lower section was it caught? Um, Was it a male or a female, which is easily seen when you harvest the fish and gut it? Um, Was it a fin-clipped hatchery fish or a wild fish Mm -hmm. with the adipose fin? And, you know, what was the length and weight of that fish? And we'll use that information to rebuild our understanding uh, in long term of which fish from which source areas run when, which are the big fish, which are the smaller fish, and how can we, you know, promote the rebuilding of this resource, this wonderful, magnificent resource that we all love and cherish so much, but um, that's currently not doing too well. So, yeah, it needs our help.
0: Well, you, some of you might be asking, where can you find more out about this, especially if you're looking at perhaps uh, asking some more questions. Please use the resources that are out there. We've got a fishing game website, which is very comprehensive. I know that some of the um, reports on there can be a little bit daunting and that part of what we want to do is try and bring it to you in a way which is easier for you to understand but if you've got the interest please have a look at it there's all sorts of other books which are available uh, and we can point you in the direction of those resources so you become well informed Uh, I think we've probably had too many days of of folklore that sit around things so uh, I want to thank you very much Rasmus for putting uh, the time and energy into what you have tonight and and communicating it uh, to the salmon anglers out there uh, please support what fishing game are doing. I'm sure that in the long run you'll be most pleased that the direction has taken a, a turn. I think that's very scientifically based is going to give us um, great results. But you're part of that scientific data that, that's coming in there. So anything that can be uh, supported, get your heads in, uh, say you be a volunteer, make sure that you take your love of salmon fishing rather than having everybody else do it. Become one that's involved making sure that you are indeed looking for the future so that our kids can enjoy uh, what is a tremendous resource in our local area.